Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports, the NFL show, season two, episode 11. My name is Dan Frost. And as always, I'm supported by the best panel in the business. Tonight we got Stacy, we got Beck, and we got no Alex. Alex is stuck in traffic, frantically trying to get here, and very, very disappointed, guys, because the listener question was directly for Alex tonight is the Chicago Bears have announced their new head coach, Matt Eberflus, formerly of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Beck, what's your thoughts on this one? Because uh, that's the question we've got for you tonight is what's our thoughts on the new head coach for the Bears? I mean, this is an interesting one because I don't think Matt Eberflus was anyone's first, second, maybe even third pick to take on this role. But if you look at who they've also assigned as their new OC coordinator, Luke Geske, I think the two really complement each other. Luke Geske's come over from the Green Bay Packers as their quarterback coordinator, trainer over there. So he's worked with, you know, Aaron Rodgers, MVP of the league. So I think... Justin Fields would be extremely excited about the OC's um, appointment. Matt Eberflus, he's he's very defensively minded, so I think they definitely complement each other and could hopefully if they stick to both their expertise and don't try and, you know, Matt Eberflus doesn't try and come over and have too much input on the offense that it changes a lot for Geski. It could, could work out for them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Look, for me, I just think that the Chicago Bears need to – I guess, change their brand and change their style of football. They've been such a defensive powerhouse. That's where they've spent the money. They've given up picks for Khalil Mack. They uh, they spend, spend, spend on the defensive side of the ball. I just feel like the, here was an opportunity for you to say, okay, we're going to go into this new generation of football where it's points, points, points. And, yeah, I, I feel like nothing against Matt. I, I think he's you know probably one of the best defensive prospects out there from a head coach's perspective. But here was an opportunity for you to get a real offensive mind to partner with Justin Fields. My biggest thing is it has to work. Justin Fields cannot have a third coach. This has to work. You do not want to derail Justin with another playbook. So the pressure's on Chicago for Matt to work. I think this was a really risky play. I think there was a lot of high-profile offensive um, options out there, but uh, that's just my thoughts. Stacey, you get the final word on this one. I know Alex is uh, listening in to every word you speak here, but, uh, yep, Chicago, they took a big risk here. Yeah, I wish she wasn't working, so I had some more time to talk to her in depth about this uh, and particularly get into an argument or two, but... Look, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, Justin Fields cannot have another coach. But at the same time, I th- what I find really funny about this situation is the path that he's taken to get this job was that he was bought under Josh McDaniels at the uh, at the Colts, right? And then Josh McDaniels reneged on the head coaching role uh, and he stayed and he actually gets to be a head coach before McDaniels, which I think is like twisted irony um, that could only happen at the Bears. Uh, so I think for... Uh, Justin Fields' sake, and I think for Alex's sake, um, I really hope this works. Um, but, I mean, the Colts' defense was beastly, and, and there's going to be some changes there that I think uh, are going to benefit them, especially with the type of players they've got. So, who knows? It could work. All right, guys, let's jump into our first segment for tonight, the huddle. Leave no regrets out there. That is what a real champion is made of. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, the long drought is over. How about that? Cheese! A touchdown and a title for the Patriots! 
greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Those will be the best memories. Yeah, and this week we continue to work our way through the NFL teams. And this week we're going to Detroit to have a look at the Detroit Lions, obviously finishing up uh, with three wins, uh, three and 13. Bit of a disappointing year there, but a lot of stories, a lot of narratives in and around this football club. Stacey, going to start with you. Let's uh, let's first of all talk about the coach because um, there's a lot to cover in the QB space. But I want I want to start with the coach because Dan Campbell... He sort of, you know, it's, it's quite interesting when NFL coaches get appointed because there's just so much pressure in that first press conference. And Danny came out, he said some weird and wonderful things, uh, you know, what was it, abiding kneecaps and a few different things. But you can get what he was trying to, I, I guess, deliver there in Detroit. He was trying to bring an edge to the team and, you know, it probably didn't start the right way. But towards the back end of the season, did we start to see things turn around a little bit, I guess, in terms of physicality for the Detroit Lions? Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, that coaching change kind of, I mean, plus, you know, moving on to the quarterback situation as well, uh, that was a big change. So I think that anything is an improvement for Detroit, but for the fact that they ended up costing themselves a first-round pick by getting so good is, again, one of those things that only could happen to the Lions. So, I mean, it, they've got some, there's got some ways to go, but I think as a season, when we saw them perform, they were performing well. Uh, so I think Dan Campbell coming in has definitely had, uh, you know, potentially a good experience. Yeah, no, he's definitely an interesting one. And, and certainly, you know, coming into his second year, it's going to be, um, yeah, very interesting there for Dan. All right, Beck, let's talk about the quarterback position because, you know, this was this was huge news. And, and I guess, you know, you're a little bit, um, uh, you know, you're a little bit used to it now, you know, with a lot of these big blockbuster trades, but... Matt Stafford getting traded away from the Detroit Lions. And you almost get a sense of like a bit of an omission from the franchise that says, you know what, you gave us everything you had. We weren't able to get it done. Sure, go off. And, you know, he goes on and wins a Super Bowl. They get uh, Jared Goff and some picks back. Talk to us a little bit about this quarterback position and, you know, what's your overall thoughts of Jared Goff's first year there in Detroit? Yeah, I mean, it was probably about time that they did make a change in that position because obviously after nine seasons not being able to do anything with Stafford, they needed to change things up and mix it up. And I don't think Jared Goff is a terrible choice to come over to the Lions. I mean, I, I've said it all along that he's not a terrible quarterback. I think he's he's quite capable of, you know, taking a team to be successful. And we've seen that over at the Rams. Like he was able to take them to the playoffs. He was able to go to a Super Bowl um, as the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, he's had a tough season his first year because I feel like he's come over to a very young team and especially with a new head coach as well. It's a lot of adjustments that you need to make. It's a lot of, you know, figuring out, you know, what's going to work, especially, you know, making connections with the receivers, running backs, and then also making connections with your head coach who is, you know, ideally calling all of your plays. So you need to get to know each other so that they call what works for you and what you're comfortable with. Um, but, I mean, he had 19 touchdowns, eight intercepts. It's not his best season, but it's not the worst either. Yeah, Stacey, take us into how Jared Goff is feeling at the moment because, you know, I guess there's so many analogies, but, you know, this guy, he, he's built a house. He has put years of blood, sweat, tears, pain and suffering, and then he's been evicted. And, uh, you know, Matt Stafford's been able to come into there, into the LA Rams and, you know, just put the finishing touches on it wins a Super Bowl, it's got to be really, really tough for Jared Goff. Oh, completely. And, 
you know, we were in uh, we were in LA the year that Jared Goff uh, got selected by the Rams, um, and it was like it, you could see Goff memorabilia everywhere. Like this was going to be the next best thing for the Rams, and it just ended so badly. So, man, for him, the confidence has taken a shake. Definitely. Um, but I think kind of once he figured out that maybe the system might work for him, he started picking up his game a little bit. And we started to see things in Jared Goff that we hadn't seen um, previously. So I, I think that it's a good thing. Um, and it potentially could have been the system. But, I mean, you can't argue with Sean McVay. I mean, I just love him so much. So I don't understand how that relationship <laughs> fell apart. Beck, I, I guess when you look at Jared Goff, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. He's kind of, you know, your average run-of-the-mill quarterback. And, you know, we, we, we know that it could be worse, but one of the one of the things that you have to do uh, if you have those type of quarterbacks is you have to, I guess, surround him with as much talent as possible. So you think about Detroit, unfortunately for the fan base, that quite often they get uh, some of the best uh, draft picks uh, year in, year out. But, um, you know, this is a situation where they have had compensation come in from the Rams they're picking high again. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on the upcoming draft? This is probably, you know, this is really, really important for Detroit because if Jared Goff is to be successful, they're going to have to really hit. They're going to have to uncover some superstars here. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the Lions weren't as, you know, well endowed with players this year as they had quite a few injuries, especially in that running back position. I feel like if they had, you know, two the two running backs, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, if they were able to play healthy for the whole season, because I think both of them played a lot of their games questionable and injured. And I think, um, you know, when you can't form a strong running game, it makes it super hard for the quarterback to be able to have a passing game. So, you know, and w- with that passing game, they have no weapons for Jared Goff to throw to. Like their best receiver was a rookie. And I mean, that's saying something. If your rookie is your best receiver among, you know, other receivers that have three, four years experience in the league, you definitely are going to struggle with your quarterback. He could be the best quarterback, but if he has no one to throw to, you know, you're not going to have a successful season. So I think coming into the draft, they need to look at, picking up, you know, some wide receivers. Because I think with with the running backs, if they stay healthy, they are, you know, top running backs. They're great running backs to have. I don't think you need to replace them. You don't need to change them. But you need to add some weapons into this receiver position. Stacey, I could not agree more with Beck. I think the running back position, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's looking pretty good. But me and you can kind of relate to this wide receiver shortage. <laughs> As, you know, being fans of the New England Patriots, we've been there, we have suffered, but... Beck's exactly right. When you think about the players they need to bring in, you need to draft wide receiver round one, wide receiver round two, wide receiver round three. You have to get Jared Goff weapons because at the end of the day, TJ Hawkinson, you know, he, he's a he's a high quality tight end. But again, you know, if you could just spread the ball out a little bit, that will give Jared a little bit, you know, a better opportunity for him to be successful. I completely agree, and, and I, I agree with Beck exactly. Like, their running back room was pretty solid, uh, you know, and it, it really is. Like, when you're looking at who they've got on their contract, they've got Eamon St. Ra, who um, who I've really enjoyed watching the back end of last season. So they can keep him. That's a win. Um, you know, they've got who they got on the contract? Cephas, Benson, McKinley. I mean, I didn't see as much of them, but I mean, when you're looking at who's coming up on free agency, like they should be able to at least fill a couple of those holes. And I think their playbook, you know, it works for them. And I think they've got a lot going for them, but they just need to be smart about how they approach this draft. 
Yeah, so Beck, you know, obviously there's a bit of creativity, offensive weapon shortage there in Detroit, but one of the things that we did see is that in a lot of these contests with Detroit, they lost a lot of games. They lost a lot of football games, but it was close. You know, they, they showed some grit. They showed some physicality. And you can kind of see that now that Dan Campbell, especially on the defensive side of the ball, he's starting to really build a little bit of a culture there. So, you know, you know, this pretend, you know, we've seen Cincinnati Bengals be able to kind of rebuild a team very, very quickly. It's going to be difficult with their limitations at, at quarterback. But, you know, I guess all the signs are showing that Detroit will improve next season. I mean, yeah, 100%. This team is not a bad team. I just feel like they had some terrible luck this year. Like, if you look at the games that they did lose, only four of those 13 games were by more than 10 points. So every other game that they played came down to a field goal or a last-minute touchdown. Like, they were close games. So they have so much potential to compete and be good. I just feel like they, like we've said, they're missing that weapon. Like in that red zone, they just couldn't complete throughout the season. And I think that's where they suffered the most. If you have that weapon go-to wide receiver to come in, because they do, like if you look at the percentage of pass passing touchdowns to rushing touchdowns, they prefer to pass the ball in the red zone. So if we can give Goff someone to throw to, they could, you know, win these games that are coming down to a field goal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stace, let's give a little bit of love to the offensive line because they obviously went out and got the big uh, big O lineman in Penae Sewell. You know, that was obviously a, a big move for them. They've got, I think, one of the best centres in the game in, fr- in Frank uh, Ragnar. Um, but, yeah, talk to us a little bit about Penae. Obviously, you know, I kind of wanted him to go to Cincy to protect Joe Burrow. Um, Jamar Chase kind of worked out for them. But, um, you know, it, it is, it's probably something that doesn't, cre- you know, create a lot of media buzz, but... You know, protecting Jared Goff, that's another important element there for Detroit. Yeah, and I think they're pretty locked in with having um, Penae Sewell and uh, Taylor Decker locked in as starters. I mean, they're under contract, yes, uh, which is really good. So, I mean, filling up, I don't think that it would be a bad thing for the Lions to take like and tackle like round three, maybe try and get something a little bit up there and try to build that growth throughout that O-line. Um, because they did a pretty good job, especially from a, a, a running perspective. Um, you know, pass-wise, Jared Goff is just fragile, so he just needs that extra attention. Yeah, look, Penesol, he, he absolutely shone in his first season there. He was leading in all, in all sort of statistical categories there. I, I'm just, yeah, hoping that he'll be able to take another step in that second year and really enforce why Detroit took him so high in last year's draft. All right, guys, let's flip it, flip it over and talk about the defensive side of the football You know, one of the things if you are a struggling franchise is you do not want to lose star players to injury. Stacey, the injury to Jeff Okuda in that cornerback position out for the season, you know, it was completely devastating. And, you know, you you try not to be too dramatic about this sort of stuff, but it can completely completely destroy a locker room. And you just got a bit of a sense that that was a real killer for Detroit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to have a blowout torn Achilles, uh, you know, that that's a rough injury to come back from in the first place. But, you know, I think that was most important for these guys as a culture and as a, def- a defensive back room was that he was, you know, what he brought to an extremely young but really promising DB um, quartet. I mean, had he have stayed there, maybe things would have happened a little bit differently. But... Um, if he rebounds well, they could be onto something. It's just, you know, a torn Achilles, it's rough. 
Yeah, no, you definitely want to see him hopefully bounce back. And then I guess, Beck, you know, the last thing I did want to say um, on the Detroit Lions uh, defense is, you know, I, I do go back to giving the, the coaches a little bit of credit here because you look through their roster on the defensive side of the ball, they played well, they played tough, they played physical. Where are the superstars? I mean, obviously, Jeff Okuda got injured for the whole season. These guys are just Jimmys and Joes. There's no one to, there is no superstar on this side of the football, yet they really held their own. That's got to be, you know, some promising signs there for Detroit. Yeah, this defense, like if you look at the stats, they competed. Like they, you know, the stats are almost similar on both sides in terms of how many yards they gave up, you know, how many touchdowns they let in, all those kind of stats. It's very, very close and similar. So for a bunch of, you know, Young, like it's a very young defense as well. There's not a lot of experience on this defense for a bunch of young, no-name kind of standout superstar players to be able to play as well as they did and give this offense opportunity, even though they couldn't capitalize, but to give them opportunity um, throughout the season, it, it can just go get better from here because they're just going to grow with more experience. They're going to get, you know, some more draft picks to build on, you know, their strengths and, yeah, be successful. I think the problem with this, the the problem that they're going to run into is the fact that they need safeties. Like they, safeties are a desperate need for these guys. I mean, they only had one guy, Tracy Walker, who is a free agent, um, and they don't think that there's anyone close to him. You know, and this is what Alex is always talking about having like your ones and your twos, like being as capable each, as each other. And they're just going to struggle if they don't fill that position with, I think, someone who's a little bit more veteran um, and can kind of manage that side of the ball a little bit better uh, just because they're such a young group. Yeah, no, that, that's it, it's going to be an interesting rebuild, and I'm sure Detroit fans, they won't want to hear that because it just feels like it's been a never-ending cycle. But, you know, things are, things are slowly moving, and um, I think this is a really, really important off-season and certainly one for the coaching staff because, uh, yeah, definitely a tough start there for under the Jared Goff era. All right, Beck, I uh, want to hear your predictions uh, here, and I, and I robbed them of a, of a tie as well. This team did get a tie last season, but, uh, yeah, um, what's your thoughts? Is this, is this team going to go over or under three wins, um, yeah, as you sort of try and forecast ahead? You know what? I was really, like, in two minds about this coming into this episode, but now that we've kind of pulled apart and, like, targeted what they really need, what they need to fix, I think if they can get you know, those weapons for Goff to throw to, their running backs can stay healthy, defense just keeps building on what they already continued last season. I think they can go like a seven and ten. Like I'm giving them seven wins. I'm doubling what they did last year. It's it's a it's a big, big gesture, but I think I think they're so capable. I think a few people would sign up to that for sure. Look, for me, uh, if you're an NFL franchise, you have to win five games of football. I think that's the bare minimum. Teams that are winning less than that, you know, that you're starting to move into tanking territory. So Detroit Lions have to win five uh, games. So I'm going to I'm gonna definitely, um, you know, keep a very close eye on sort of the new additions that they bring into the squad, but five an absolute minimum. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they were able to do a little bit better than that. Um, Stacey, are we being too harsh here? What or what, You know, what, what's your thoughts around Detroit there? Certainly not a franchise that uh, fills you with a lot of confidence. Definitely not. Definitely not at all. But, I mean, there were games last year like, uh, you know, the Minnesota game where they lost, I think it was by two points, maybe a field goal. Uh, you know, that was a competitive game. So you love to see it. Um, but 
I don't know if they're going to go as good as Beck is thinking. So I'm going to have to go air on the side of caution and go with you here, Dan, and, and say around the five, six mile. I just feel like they had way too many games that came down to just a field goal for them to go play as bad next year. Like they have to do better. All right, guys, let's move to our next segment for tonight, the match. The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, in this week's match, we continue with our draft series. And, well, we take a look at two of the best cornerbacks uh, in this year's draft, and that is Derek Stingley Jr. coming up against Ahmed Sauce, uh, Gardner, Stacey, you know, when you think about how the game's changed in recent years, we've, we, you know, we've spoken about it. the Patrick Mahomes, the Justin Herberts, the, the points, the importance of wide receivers, you know, that is clearly, you know, where the football, where, where football is headed, where football is right now. I guess you've got to try and compete against that. You've got to try and bring in high quality players and players that are superstar in that cornerback position to try and compete with some of these wide receivers to try and keep these scores down. So talk to us a little bit about the cornerback position generally, because I know this is a bit of a position that you're passionate about. Yes. Cornerback after my own heart. And I mean, he comes from LSU. If we're talking about Gerald Stingley and this, uh, Derek Stingley in this one. And, and I love his story. Um, but the the corner position is one of the smartest positions on the football field. So they say that when you're drafting a smart team, you draft your quarterback first and then you draft your cornerback because the cornerback has to see just as much as the quarterback does. Um, So it's not just this whole defensive, they just hit people kind of mentality. They're actually pretty smart when you come to think of it. And LSU has probably got one of the most developed uh, football IQ from a a defensive backs perspective. Like they call them DBU for a reason. Um, So, you know, to have him coming into the league and he's going to go quite highly, it's going to be really good. Yeah, Beck, you know, when you think about, you know, when you're a young sort of, you know, player, you know, coming out of high school, starting into college, you know, wide receivers, they're a dime a dozen, you know, that that's one of the most con- uh, saturated, you know, position groups. You know, a lot of the coaches are telling these young athletes, jump on the other side of the ball, you know, jump over to the defense and you can go high in the draft, you can be a superstar and, you know, you, you know, th- and, and this is sort of some of the advice that we're seeing and, you know, I, I guess... You know, when you think about some of the players that, that are shining in this cornerback position, it really is encouraging these younger players to take the jump, move over the defensive side, and we're starting to see that that, that athleticism really develop. You look at Derek Stingley Jr., as Stacey mentioned, coming out of the LSU system, you know, he, he appears to have all the physical attributes, that's for sure. 100%. And we've seen this story before with Trayvon Diggs, right? Like, he was a wide receiver and... His coaches told him he's moving to corner. It wasn't even his choice. It was, this is where we need you. This is where you're going to play. And he is killing it. Like he had, you know, contended for rookie of the, se- rookie of the year and defensive player of the year um, in that cornerback position. And I think having that experience on the wide receiver side and then coming over to corner, it just makes have, gives you a bit more of an edge to be able to read you know, the offense, read the receiver, you you know the tells, you know the routes. Like you just have like this next level kind of IQ for that position because you have experience on the other side of the ball. And you see that in how um, Stingley plays. Like he's, he's fast, he's agile. He almost looks like a receiver when he is covering men. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Stacey, his ability to come in in 2019 as a true freshman 
and perform and star and be one of the best players in the country. I mean, it's hard to get your head around how a player can just in their first year of college, um, you know, dominate and take over the league. It's it's pretty incredible what he was able to achieve um, at the very start of his college career. Definitely. And I think a lot of that comes from his family upbringing. And so when I said I love his story, it was the fact that, uh, you know, his grandfather is former New England Patriots wide receiver Daryl Stingley. Uh, and he was paralyzed in 1978 in a preseason game. Um, and he's always said that he plays for his dad. Uh, so it's I think it's that motivation that drives him a little bit uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff. So, I mean, he's competitive in every aspect of, of the game um, and he hasn't had it easy, which I think has done him really well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Beck, there's all the positives, but we've got to throw a little bit of negativity into his, uh, you know, as we analyze him as a draft prospect, one of the things we don't like seeing in some of these star plays is injuries. And look, they haven't been kind of Derek. Obviously he's, um, you know, he's had some challenges in that space. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on this? You know, we, we've, we've seen players that get hurt in college often get hurt in the NFL. Um, we've seen examples of that being not the case. What's your thoughts on this? It is a little bit of a concern and, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it impacts his, uh, I guess, his, his draft selection um, as, we, as we approach it only a couple of months away. Yeah, no one likes to draft an injury-prone player. No one wants to spend a pick on someone who's going to sit on the sidelines and not be able to compete. So I think, you know, it's a really tough situation for him because he did spend, you know, a lot of the time during last season injured and still has this prospect to go high. So, I mean, there's obviously qualities there about him that stand out and make um, recruiters, you know, really like him. But I think he's really you know, this first season into the NFL, he's really going to have to prove himself. And especially with an ankle injury playing corner, like I feel like that's one of the worst things that you could have because you need to be agile and you need to be able to move and turn and, you know, ankles are key to that. So if if he, you know, tends, if he gets injured in that first season, that could end his career, which will be really, really sad for him. Yeah, and it's it. unfortunate that, uh, you know, that defensive backs like feet and ankle issues, exactly like you said, Beck, it's so important. And those things take forever to heal and they niggle for years and years. So whether that's going to affect him short term and long term, like I think that's something that every team is going to have to question. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, let's jump over and have a look at his competitor tonight. And it is Ahmed Gardner, nickname source. Stacey, this guy, you know, again, I, I just marvel at these, you know, you look at you look at his background and again his ability to perform as a freshman. What's the what's the deal with, with these top athletes? I mean, you know, you're supposed to sort of ease into it, you know, sort of second year, third year, you start to see some success, especially on the defensive side where the schemes are so complex. Quite often you're getting exposed against some of the best talent in the country. But again, you know, you look at his background, he, you know, he hit the ground running as soon as he hit college. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Bearcats have, have kind of been this team where a lot of players will sit and all of a sudden explode. And, you know, a couple of years ago while I was watching a game, I'm like, what the hell even is a Bearcat? But now after having done some research and, and looking at how they play, I mean, it's no surprise that they're producing these kinds of, uh, these kinds of athletes. I mean, He's rare. Like you, you look at all sorts of scouting reports and he is rare because, uh, you know, he's excellent in man coverage. And as a corner, that's, you know, of utmost importance. And, you know, there are some NFL cornerbacks uh, that don't do very well in man coverage. Um, he's big enough that he's got the hands on and the speed to carry with these really fast receivers. You know, he's 
the way he plucks balls out of the air, it's kind of like time stops and he's really fluid. So he's going to be like such a good pick for anyone that picks him up and to be able to play zone coverage and, you know, at all levels um, from like, you know, close up on the line in press to deep, you know, a deep coverage type situation, it, it's going to be really good for any team that grabs him. Yeah, Becky, you know, six foot three, 21, 91 kilos. I mean, this guy is a serious footballer. And I think, you know, to Stacey's point, you know, and it can't be undersold. We've just gone through a decade of, you know, the dominance with Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, obviously the, the, the top college football programs, they've dominated the competition. It's great to see programs such as Cincinnati take that step up and elevate because what it does, it shines a spotlight on some of their, their top players. They get drafted higher. And, you know, I, I guess what we're starting to see is maybe players that would have been drafted a little bit later playing in these high-profile games, these championship games. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's great to see because, you know, Gardner definitely showed on the biggest stage he's able to perform and, uh, you know, scouts are buzzing about him. Yeah, 100%. And I totally get why because he is a big guy for a corner. He's a big guy, but he also has speed, right? Like Stay said, he's great in man coverage, but he can also play his own coverage and he's also physical. He can blitz from the corner position. He'll make tackles. He'll read, you know, the running back outside run and come down, you know, to make contact. He's not scared of that and he's got the size to do it. He, he's almost like a whole package, like I don't know how to fault him because he just literally does it all. Yeah, and uh, all right, guys. Well, it's time to jump in with our predictions here. No sitting on the fence when it comes to the match. A little bit tricky with our combine results. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how these guys test to see how these guys score, to be able to differentiate, because we're nitpicking, you know, amongst some of the elite talent in the draft. Stacey, I'm going to give you a first crack at this. You know, obviously two very high-quality players. You wouldn't be disappointed if they put on a New England Patriots uh, jersey, but if you had to pick one player, where are you leaning here? I'm going to go with DBU, going for Derek Stingley Jr. Um, Just his ability uh, to be – he's very, very smart, very smart. Uh, and that's what I love. You can teach technique, but football like you is something that it takes a long time to work at. And considering he knows so much so early in his career, uh, it's going to be amazing to watch him develop. Yeah, look, for me, uh, given that uh, as a New England Patriots supporter, that our best cornerback is a free agent right now, and I'm I'm stressed as to whether we're going to be able to sign him. I'd love to see if we could get one of these plays, but they're going to be long gone at the top of the draft. Look, for me, I'm going to lean with Source Gardner. I think he's someone pretty special it's the six foot three physical style of play that really sort of sets him apart. Um, I think he's a very special player. You know, probably doesn't quite have the ceiling uh, of Derek, but um, I just feel like he's a plug in play guy and someone who could really perform in their first year. All right, Beck, you get the deciding vote here. Um, again, two high quality players, but you've got to pick one. It is difficult, especially, like you said, coming into the combine and seeing how they actually perform because they've, you know, Every single college player has had interrupted seasons the last two years because of COVID and that I think affects their stats and their gameplay. So the combine will really go to show us who's in shape, who's ready to compete and go and those kind of things. But I'm I'm heading on your side, Dan. I, I'm Armand Gardner. I think he's just he showed consistency over the three years. His size is hard to go past, his physicality, his um you know, the scheme that he's playing over there at Cincinnati, like he's been able to put the Bearcats on the map. So I think he he might go a little bit higher than Stingley. I think that like you look at, you look at Gardner and you go, he's like 
the opposite of DK Metcalf, right? Like in terms of size, like physical mm. aggression, like like all that sort of stuff. And there was so much hype around whether DK could perform to his size. And I think that that's going to be a question for Gardner as well. Like, sure, he's big, but can he do all the little finer details just as well? All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment for tonight, Rapid Fire. And we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is singing closing time. Maybe that's what you're doing. Yeah, and this week on Rapid Fire, we continue with our free agent series. And, you know, we spoke a lot about all of the players that the Detroit Lions are going to have to bring in to try and lift them up. And that's my question that I've got for you this week. Thinking about all the free agents that are available at the moment, you've got to pick one player. Who's the one player that you would bring in to try and improve this Detroit roster? Beck, I'm going to start with you. I mean, I'm going to stick with the theme that I've been talking all night. They need a weapon. They need someone from wide receiver. And there's actually quite a few in the free agents at the moment. So you you kind of have your pick really. But I think you don't want to go with someone who's, you know, nearly ready to, you know, in the back end of their season. You don't want to go with someone too young. And I think Mike Williams coming out of the charges, he's coming off his rookie contract. He's just had a blowout season. So, you know, you know he's capable. He's, he's um you know, a go-to guy. He's reliable. He's going to fit into this scheme, I think, quite well over at the Lions. And I think it's going to give Goff someone who's confident out on the field, runs some crisp routes, gets open, um, and, yeah, score some touchdowns, hopefully. Stacey, what about yourself? SOS, someone please help Jared Goff. What's your thoughts as you sort of, you know, you look at all the free agents that are available at the moment? Yeah, my uh, my pick tonight is Christian Kirk coming from the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, you know, he, I think, is one of the most underrated players uh, when it comes to the wide receivers that are sitting in the in free agency right now. And, you know, I think what he's going to do is, is like we said before, you know, Detroit know that they've got a weapon in Eamon St. Ra, uh, St. Brown, Eamon Ra, St. Brown. Um, so if they don't give another weapon to draw some attention to, um, he's not going to get any ball. And I think having Christian Kirk in there, he's dependable and he adds something in that slot um, position that is really going to help with their concepts uh, from a passing perspective for golf. So, that's that's my pick. Yeah, look, I, I hope that Detroit uh, do the same as what you guys are saying, but load up in the in, with the receivers, uh, you know, in the draft. So for me, I'm doing something a little bit different. It's like you know, the Detroit go down the street to buy some milk and come back with it with a brand new car. I, I think they're gonna, you know, I think they're gonna do some weird and wonderful things as Detroit traditionally do. And Stephon Gilmore in the cornerback position. He's a very interesting player. He got unseated by J.C. Jackson there in New England, and I thought he was a little bit disappointing when he went over to Carolina. I'm not quite sure whether they're going to be able to work out a contract there. So for me, I I think Detroit have a chance at getting a a high-quality player. Stephon's getting a little bit older, but his leadership, his experience being in that Patriots system, I think that could just... That could really just top off their defense, but I hear exactly what you guys are saying. They have to go offense, so whether they do that in the draft or the free agency, uh, it's definitely something they're going to have to look at. All right, guys, well, that's all the time we have tonight. Just want to thank my amazing panel, always bringing the heat as we talk all things NFL. And to our listeners, we really do appreciate your support. Despite it being the off-season, we've got more and more content headed your way. Continue to help support the podcast, the platform, share with family and friends, and until next week, we'll see you then. We won't hesitate.
You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.